Welcome to the Millionaire Next Door podcast with Robert Curtis, CFP, accredited investment fiduciary from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. In this podcast, we help successful wealth accumulators like you looking to transition to a work optional lifestyle by helping you build strategies for growing and maintaining your wealth. Robert draws from years of experience and fiduciary responsibility and interviews guest experts to help you build reliable strategies to grow and maintain your wealth. Now, on to the show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Next Door podcast. I'm Robert Curtis. I'm the host of the podcast. On the podcast, we explore a lot of different themes. Uh, thematically, the the overnight, what I call the overnight 25-year success story. A lot of my folks, you know, they we manage millions of dollars for them, but it took them 25 years to get there. We integrate a lot of other professionals into our process uh, for the advice-giving process, and today we have a guest who is with uh, Robert Hall and Associates. They are an accounting firm in Glendale, California. Tony Watson is with that firm, and he's going to join me. We're just coming off tax season, although, Tony, you probably feel like you're you're still well into it. Uh, but yeah, just wanted to introduce you. And he, he's going to talk, um, amongst other things, but how to protect your wealth and keep more of what's yours. So, Tony, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Robert, for having me. I appreciate being here and uh, ready to ready to share as much of this uh, information of the wonderful world of taxation as I possibly can can share in the next uh, you know thirty forty five minutes or so. Gotcha. Well, we appreciate it again, and um, tell us a little bit about I guess you, your firm, your role. What what are you seeing right now? It's it's uh, May twenty fourth, twenty twenty three, as we record this. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, I'll tell you, man. The past uh, past three years have been have been a pretty pretty big roller coaster ride in the uh, in the finance world, obviously in the tax world, with the codes changing almost on a weekly to monthly basis during the pandemic. And uh, one thing that I feel very comfortable with is a feeling a little bit of normalcy uh, coming into twenty twenty three. Finally, things are the, the 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 train is starting to really kind of take off from the station with no. Uh, no storms ahead, so to speak. And, um, you know, there aren't very many code changes ahead of us this year. I'm sure that with the election coming up in 2024, I'm sure there will be some more code changes, but uh, very excited to be out of this tax season. Just a, a couple curveballs on the federal and the California side, obviously, with the, the past storms that we had over the last month and a half. So California and the federal government have this agreement where us taxpayers in the state of California, we have until later on this year to file and pay taxes. But uh, with all of my clients that live outside of California, they were very much set to that deadline of March 15th for the corporate filings and April 18th for the individuals. And then those of us who filed extensions, we have until September and October to dial things in. But uh, very, very excited to be past the, the 2023 tax season. Looking forward to what 2023 and 2024 have in store. That's great. I love you say it's normal. I don't even know what what normal is these days. We're used to a state <laughs> of constant change, but uh, they are always changing it up. And yes, California was a little different. We had record rains and floods. Um, we're in Southern California and it wasn't that bad, but the whole state got an extension to file your return till October, uh, which feel, you know, 
which was kind of interesting. But we look to like legislatively, you, you mentioned in Washington right now, there's a lot of gridlock, a lot of talk, but they're not passing things or changing laws. So it's kind of nice to have a little stability, I suppose. And that's great. And then um, what, what else? Talk, you were going to talk about asset protection, wealth protection for the future. Or, the floor is yours. Dive into whatever whatever topics you're seeing that are uh, timely and you think were, are worth sharing. Of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, going, going on almost 20 years with my firm, uh, one main point of of concern for a lot of our self-employed and, and real estate investing clients is uh, the power of asset protection by selecting certain types of entities to shelter assets and to separate business revenue streams from personal revenue streams. Um, you know, going on once again, two decades of service with Robert Hall. Uh, each year annually, I'd say we're incorporating anywhere from four to five hundred entities per year, both for new clients, for veteran clients. Um, and that has become, especially coming out of the pandemic, that has become probably the mecca of conversations in roughly the 140 to 150 webinars and seminars that we put on on, on a year to year basis. In fact, just yesterday, I was up in Pasadena, California at the convention center speaking to real estate investors about the power of entity selection, whether an LLC was mm. right for people, the S corps, the C corporations, and what the differences are between the three types of entities and then the comparison between the entity structures and the insurance policies, and obviously the living trust, the estates, so on and so forth. And so we're seeing a lot of people really dive into their financial situation and scenario mm -hmm. and figure out more creative ways to not only retain wealth, but also to better protect themselves coming out of this very economically uncertain time, uh, which was the, the three-year pandemic period. And it's still very much alive and doing well, I think. I still have clients who call in saying I, they can't make the appointment because they have COVID and so on and so forth. But for the most part, I think that the normalcy feeling for me was the fact that I had to work from home for two years doing tax returns remotely, whereas the first you know, 16, 17 years of my profession, it was meeting with 10 to 12 people every single day, Monday through Saturday during the, the busy times of the season and being able to shake hands and really dive in personally to people's finances. But we were able to adjust and get to that digital platform pretty, pretty smoothly. Yeah, I, I had the same experience. I mean, it was a bit of a reset, but you know, now we have a virtual team and we're dealing a lot in Texas. I'm in the office every day. People are starting to come back, but I um, they don't come in as much as they used to. We have an electronic validation for our parking, and I had to reset my codes and learn how to do it when my assistant was out. So that was kind of fun. But um, and Exciting let me stuff. go. <laughs> Going back to entity selection, that's something that will come up, you know, several times a year with the client I deal with who's wondering and wants some advice. Uh, I had to go wade through that myself because I'm a business owner. And what's the, are you, you're, you and your firm, that's a good someone to send to you for a, a deeper discussion if they want to walk through that from a tax perspective? Would that be a, you know, Absolutely. appropriate introduction. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I, once again, we, we incorporate, I mean, just in my column alone of clients, I'd say that I incorporate on average, maybe two to 300 people a year, uh, simply because I deal with mostly real estate professionals with commission earnings, yeah. rehabbers and flippers. And even coming out of the pandemic, we have these contract physicians who are not working at one hospital anymore. They're traveling across the U.S. because there's a shortage of, uh, you know, physicians, mm. doctors and nurses. So the pandemic has really stimulated a lot of new business, new self-employed mm -hmm. revenue streams for people. And, and so a majority of the conversations I have, especially during the off season, 
is how do we restructure from a W-2 uh, into an LLC? And is the LLC the right entity for me or should we tax it as an S corporation? And so I can break that down into those three types of entities and the, the income tax benefits for certain ones. And when the time, you know, the, the, the timeline of incorporating, it's definitely not right for everyone. And there's definitely a right and a wrong time to incorporate. So I can absolutely dive into that if, if now is the right time to, to dive further into that conversation. I think that's great. Yeah. You go keep going if you want to elaborate on some of that, because that's a big decision point for people. So yeah, I'll let you continue. That's, that's of course, of course. really interesting. Yeah, you know, but one of the more common entities I think that a majority of U.S. taxpayers know and have heard of is the LLC, the limited liability company. And I think that sometimes what people get caught up in, especially in this this era of of tech savvy uh, investors, and they're going to YouTube for video education, so on and so forth, is that the LLC always comes up first. And the one thing I want to make sure that everybody understands first and foremost is that the LLC is not an income tax savings structure. Uh, that's one of the general misconceptions when selecting an entity is that, hey, I, I'll just incorporate myself and it'll save me all this money. Well, you have to incorporate as the right type of entity, or if you incorporate as the wrong type of entity, your tax advisor needs to convert that entity into a different type of entity that will actually end up saving you tax. So the LLC right out the gate is going to do exactly what it's meant to do. It's meant to limit liability on large assets or business revenue streams. And that for the most part is what clients are looking for they're looking for liability protection but then and that's when they when they leave the office of their attorney right they they want the asset protection benefit with the legal advisors and then when they come to meet with us the tax advisors we might see a different position for them uh, for instance a, a real estate professional who might be rehabbing or flipping or maybe even selling property for commission income sure they want the llc in place to limit liability but then they also want the tax benefit on the back end so when that individual comes in to consult with the tax advisor, we say, great, you've already kind of finished 50% of the setup process. Now we need to convert your LLC into the right type of entity to save you the actual income tax that you were expecting to save by incorporating. And so uh, it, it's once again, it's not for everyone. I think that certain milestone revenue figures need to be hit first and foremost. And after almost 20 years of doing this, I'd say that roughly around thirty-five dollars to $40,000 in net profit, not gross revenue, but net profit after all of the deductions have already been written off at about thirty to thirty-five dollars to $40,000, I'd say is the sweet spot for where incorporating would actually end up saving you, certain types of structures would end up saving you more than the annual costs of filing as an incorporated entity. I've talked with a lot of other tax advisors at, at uh, you know conferences and on Zoom calls over the past you know 15 years, and some of them will agree with us, some of them will disagree, but I, I've really dialed in this calculation pretty, pretty detailed in the fact that average cost, at least here in California, to file as a corporation with miscellaneous state filing fees, with payroll processing fees, with preparation fees, obviously, industry average here on the West Coast is about $2,500 to maybe $3,000 to file a corporate structure and everything that in, is entailed in that filing. You know, once again, the payroll processing, tax preparation fees, so on and so forth. And so we as tax advisors not only need to be sure that we advise clients as to the best ways to protect their assets and to save tax, but financially speaking, we also want to make sure that it's going to save them more than it costs them on an annual basis. And right at about thirty-five dollars to $40,000, you're looking at about $4,500 to $5,000 in self-employed tax reduction uh, just by simply filing as an entity structure. So once again, I talked briefly about the LLC, no income tax savings there, 
But if we flip that LLC and we convert it into filing as an S corporation, we get to play some very unique games for this self-employed taxpayer that will actually end up not saving them federal income tax or state income tax, but it will help reduce their self-employment tax by upwards of 60 plus percent. Now, self-employment tax alone is 15.3%. So you figure that just as a rough calculation, let's say that you've got $100,000 in net profit and you're, as a, you're filing as a sole proprietor or maybe even an LLC, you're going to pay the federal, state, and self-employment tax on the full 100 grand because the LLC, once again, saves you nothing in tax. But for the tax advisor's advice, if we convert that LLC into an S corporation, same net revenue figure, 100 grand, we actually don't end up paying that self-employment tax on the full 100,000 because in theory, as a corporate owner, you are no longer considered to be self-employed. You're actually an employee of your own corporation and employees receive W-2 compensation. And so under this S corporation structure, once again, LLC taxed as an S corp or incorporating straight up as an S corporation, we get to pay our client or the taxpayer a reasonable salary or reasonable compensation plan as low and no lower than 35 to 40% of the net revenue. Now, what does that mean for the taxpayer? Let's say you've got hundred grand in net profit. If we issue a 40% W-2, with that's $40,000. And then the business gets to write the $40,000 off. It gets to deduct the payroll. And that leaves the business with a leftover net profit of about $60,000. Now, why would the taxpayer want to jump through all these hoops and you know file all this paperwork and meet with the accountant two or three times a year to process all of this? The, the goal here is to once again, retain wealth, to save tax and retain wealth. And in this scenario on that $60,000, $40,000 split, you have the $40,000 payroll that has federal, state, and Social Security and Medicare tax paid on it because it's payroll. But on the $60,000, now that you've split this hundred grand profit into these two figures under the corporation, on the $60,000, you're still paying federal and state income tax. But what you completely avoid is having to pay that 15.3% of self-employment tax on $60,000. That's roughly just on this this specific scenario. That's about $9,200 in just right out the gate tax savings. And remember, it's not, it's not evading tax because tax evasion is illegal. This is properly avoiding taxes, uh, unnecessary taxes on roughly about $60,000 of that $100,000 profit figure. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And then for folks who are coming in, because it, it's a little confusing. I mean, do you, do you just look at the situation and then provide a breakdown? Here's an LLC. Here's an S Corp. Here's, here's estimated taxes. Here's what you're going to save, all the pluses and minuses, just to sort of lay it out and then guide them through that decision point or, or review that. Because it, you know, sometimes it's nice to just see it in, sure. in yeah, sure. so. Great yeah. question. Yeah, and I actually call it, I you know, clients will call it a consultation. I actually yeah. call it the interview process because I need to sit down and actually interview my clients, uh, yeah. especially when they're moving from W-2 to 1099 or self-employed income yeah. or a new client. And we need to make sure that all of our very important questions are answered first before we even suggest uh, to set up some type of entity structure. And so we need to look at year-to-date net revenue. Um, well, actually, year-to-date gross revenue. We need to look at year-to-date expenses. We need to look at consistency and net profit and consistency over, over two or three years of them operating their business. Uh, we need to figure out what, after we get that year-to-date income and year-to-date expense figure, then we need to take a look at, okay, well, remaining part of the year, let's say it's, it's September and we've got three months left in the year, 
Well, is there anything that this taxpayer needs to go out and purchase for themselves? Maybe a new work vehicle or new computer equipment, or maybe they've they've set up an in-home office inside of their house now because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. How can we pay them rent out of the corporation and start depreciating a portion of their primary residence and allocate mortgage interest, property taxes, so on and so forth? We need to figure out all of these pieces of the puzzle first so that during that year-end planning consultation, or even mid-year, we start as early as June for planning, during mid-year or even end-of-year planning, we need to figure out how to put all of these pieces of the puzzle together. And the, the, the overall goal, obviously, is to figure out as many creative positions as possible within the compliance, you know, four walls of the internal revenue code, so to speak, to help them retain that wealth and not overspend with Uncle Sam in whatever state they're filing in. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I myself find myself in a consultative role, obviously, with a lot of planning, and there's obviously the implementation. But what my sense on tax with your working with your tax professional is you are it's not just about the return, but it's really these consultations and getting all their advisory services and that kind of thing. And unfortunately, though, a lot of folks are just booking right at tax time, right? When you're a bit overwhelmed and yep. and it's a little um, you're right in the eye of the storm. And it, my sense is it's harder to have those kind of discussions because you're just dealing with so much volume versus maybe the people who get in a little bit earlier. Uh, maybe they don't have all the figures just yet, but they can have this discussion when you're not dealing with 16-hour days and trying to get through every one of your clients all in, in a couple months. Is that, do you have any thoughts around that? Uh, but that's always been my sense. So very, very much so. I mean, we all know as tax professionals and, and also as taxpayers that tax season is probably one of the more busy times of the year. But you know, yeah. over the two-decade career that I've had with Robert Hall, I'd say that the fourth quarter planning portion of the year is equally, if not more busy than tax season, simply because yeah. we've embedded in our clients' minds the importance of planning ahead, proper planning, because every taxpayer, outside of certain C-corporation type entities, every taxpayer shares the same calendar tax year, January 1st through December 31st. And sure, there are some IRA contributions that can be made after year end. There's a 401k profit sharing plan maneuver that can be made after year end. But I'd say that 96, 97, 98% of the planning has to happen prior to December 31st. And you're absolutely right. When clients come in during tax season and they, they're, they're surprised that the amount of tax that they have to pay simply because they had a, a great year, a, a banner year. Uh, well, then we asked them, well, you know, did you do any planning last year? I, it doesn't look like we were on the calendar for this. We reached out to try to get you on the calendar and they say, well, no, we were busy. Um, we didn't have time to do that. And, and you know, it's it's a, not a slap on the wrist, so to speak, but mm -hmm. we, we just really try to emphasize the importance of planning ahead. Failing to plan is ultimately planning to fail. That, that phrase- yep goes hand in hand with the tax industry and everything that we do as tax professionals. So you got to have a plan in place. Otherwise, the results, you're probably not going to like very much. And that's that that can be applied in many parts of people's lives, not only in the financial world, but also in the personal world as well. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Those dates drive so much. We, we see it as a financial advisor, people getting IRA contributions in, you know, SEP, simples, things like that. I know that got extended a little bit for California filers, right? This year till when is that? Till October. That is, that is uh -huh. correct. Yeah, October fifteenth, and uh, right. That that is just what 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 a I guess a gift from the tax gods, so yes. to speak, uh, for a lot of a lot of investors. And 
you know, the, once again, like you said, the rains weren't too bad in LA. I mean, sure, my backyard flooded and we had a little bit of a leak <laughs> yeah. in the roof, but I mean, I had a client whose business up in Northern California, they own a little, a little, um, not Airbnb, but a bed and breakfast with a little farm. They've got animals. And they said that during those rains, their little creek turned into a river and it yeah. washed quite a bit of their crops. And uh, they're estimating mm. about a $300,000 loss on things. And insurance wow. is going to help out a little bit, but it's going to put them back a year in production, which is very sad. So, and that's just one client uh, of mine. There are other clients that have similar stories, but uh, you know, even though we weren't impacted here so much in Los Angeles, I, I can only imagine the damage and devastation elsewhere in, in, in California. So this was truly a gift from the tax gods simply because yes. California was declared a disaster zone. No, a hundred percent. I, um, it was, not a big deal here in Southern California, but I, you know, I visited Mammoth Mountain several times. I like to ski. They had a record of, I think, about 865 inches of snow up there. So you had like 35 foot walls. It definitely, it's great if you like to ski, but there are times when it was pretty much life threatening. Like, uh, like the top post on their website just said, before you go into anything, it's like when you're entering a structure, you know, check it for, you know, like a roof collapse. So um, sure. there were sure. pockets that did. Yeah. And, and then we're worried a little bit about these, this, this melt off and the flow. So we'll see how that goes, you know, when things warm up, but great. Keep, keep going. If you've got some other topics you'd like to enlighten us on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, 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 you know, once again, I mentioned earlier that incorporating is not right for everyone. And some, some taxpayers might think, well, I'm, I'm insured, so I don't really need an entity structure. I've got a trust. I don't need an entity structure. Uh, you know, ju just yesterday at this expo that I was speaking at, one of the clients came up to our booth and, and, and said, Hey, I have a $5 million umbrella insurance policy. Is an LLC or an S corp really necessary for me? And I said, well, you know, one of the slides, and maybe he had come into the, the seminar late, one of the slides that I like to show people is, you know, a slide that shows the LLC, the insurance policy, and the trust. And there's three doors sitting in front of the, uh, the show up on the screen. And I break it down uh, like this. Insurance is obviously the most important thing for us to have. Um, insurance is there and in place to pay out settlements in case an unforeseen event happens, right? We, we don't know that we need insurance until we need it. But even at the end of the day, insurance sometimes will not pay out the settlement. They might cover a small portion of it, but not a whole lot of it, right? And we've we've seen it before with our clients, with our with our own investments. And so the the added layer of asset protection under an LLC or an S corp or a C corporation to me is worth its weight, not in gold, but it's 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 worth its its filing fee, right? Here in the state of California, it's eight hundred dollars annually to file. Elsewhere in the U.S., there's some some lower filing fees, but to have a protected structure attached to or an entity structure attached to a rental property or even to I have some clients who have classic car collections and they rent them out to the movies, uh, the production studios here in Los Angeles, and they make crazy profit on, on those, those vehicles, you know, to have an entity structure in place on top of that insurance policy, heaven forbid anything happens. It, it's very difficult for somebody to pursue an entity and to actually pierce that corporate veil uh, simply because it's it's time consuming, number one. Number two, it costs a lot in attorney fees to pursue an entity structure in a court of law. Uh, and, and here in the state of California, specifically, a charging order has to be filed and you have to prove either negligence, ignorance or malpractice or even illegal activity in order to even breach that 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 veil. 
so to speak. And the goal with that entity structure is not really meant to meant to solely protect the business. It's meant to separate the business liabilities from all of your personal assets. So the more entity structures you have and for, for all of your assets, the better protected in theory you'll be. Now, I'm not an attorney, so I, I don't want to be, I don't want to step out of my lane of expertise and start giving advice that I'm not licensed to give. But you know, for for instance, I have clients who have 10 properties and they're thinking, okay, well, do I need 10 LLCs for all, all of my properties? And it really comes down to the cash flow of the property, the debt to equity ratio, the kind of tenants that they're renting out to. So there, there are a number of questions and, you know, through that, through that interview process that we need to go through. But the goal here is to figure out, hey, is this asset worth enough and valued enough? And is it cash flowing enough to warrant the annual cost of this entity structure? And once again, the LLC is not going to have a payout value at the end of the day. That's what the insurance is for. But the LLC is that added layer of asset protection. Heaven forbid anybody was to pursue you uh, in a court of law and potentially come after personal assets in that lawsuit. Now, some clients will say, well, what if I have an estate or a trust? How does that all map into this? Well, I mean, the insurance policy would be attached to your business or your investment. The investment or the business would be held under the entity structure. And then the owner of the entity structure wouldn't really be you personally at that point. While you're alive, it's still attached to your primary social security number. But the real owner of that business, once you have a living trust set up, is your living trust. And that's meant to not protect you from potential current kind of present day litigation, that trust is meant to protect you from probate, especially in states like California, where probate court would love to seize your assets and hold them in probate. And then you got to hire legal advisors and yeah. pursue the state of California to basically get back the assets that you've worked or your, your heirs will have to fight the state of California to get back all of the assets that their parents or their loved ones have worked their whole life to obtain. So, so having that, that kind of structure in place with all three for some individuals is really important. It's not for everybody. Um, and I do want to mention that just by going up at going to legal zoom or to an, an incorporated, you know, incorporating business and setting up an entity, that's not where, that's not where the advice stops. You actually have to transfer the assets into the entity in order to achieve the full asset protection benefit. I have a lot of clients who go on YouTube and they listen to these YouTube videos nowadays. And then they go to LegalZoom, they set up an entity structure two, three years later, they still haven't transferred the title of their rental property yeah. to the LLC. And it's like, well, the, the LLC isn't doing anything. That It doesn't own anything. So at this point, if you were sued, the LLC is not going to provide any benefit to you whatsoever because you never actually completed the process of proper entity structuring and asset protection. Um, and we see that a lot, unfortunately. And that's why it's so important to have these advisory meetings with your tax advisors, with your legal advisors throughout the year, simply because you, you don't know what you don't know. And you got to be very aware that there's a lot of misinformation out there on YouTube. TED Talks seem to be pretty spot on. They find really unique professionals to speak on the TED Talk uh, type circuit. But even on podcasts, you need to make sure that whoever you're listening to is a licensed professional. Um, I've been a licensed professional for almost two decades. Our firm's been around since 1971. Uh, we have well into the 11,000 plus tax filing range as a firm, and we file taxes in all 50 states. So our clients find a lot of a lot of comfort in working with our advisors because they are licensed and they have tenure in this industry. And we've worked through recessions. We've worked through a pandemic. We've seen the ups and downs of the real estate markets and the, the refis at the 2.89% interest rates all the way up to the 7.3% interest rates that we've seen over the past year, it seems like. And they're starting to dial back. But a lot of change over the past just decade to 15 years 
So you need to work with a professional who's licensed, who understands your industry and understands how to map out this financial, this specific part of your financial world, which is the income tax world. No, 100%. I agree that that's what we do. We integrate folks like you would be baked into our process. And and you brought up several points about insurance. We had a podcast uh, a few episodes ago, which we can reference in the show notes, but with Dana Detola of Weaver Insurance. And she brought up a number of those points, umbrellas or or getting you know insurance tied to the entity, say the LLC or whatnot, how that mistake could be made. I had a Someone who called in yesterday was introduced and had just lost her uh, spouse, but there was some mistakes that made were made where they're actually their home is going to have to go into probate because the husband who's deceased didn't didn't retitle it. We see a lot of that. So the working with an integrated network of tax professionals, we can help provide that. One thing I run up against, uh, I will tell you quite frankly, it's hard to find a really good tax professionals, CPAs, enrolled agents like yourselves who are taking on clients, frankly. Most of them are just too busy. They have full books. I I was told by another one, a local practitioner, just the cost of bringing in new people. People aren't going into accounting. It's So when someone's shifting or thinking of engaging someone, it's tough to find someone. To talk about real quick as we start to kind of wrap up, Beyond just a business owner, who's a good fit? And are you taking on new clients? Is your team geared up for that? If someone's looking to make a change or or get this level of consultation, um, I'm assuming you are taking them on. But but talk to me about that, because I've heard from a lot of high-end professionals, they just don't have the capacity. Sure. What, what we saw a lot of during the pandemic years is that some of the single owner accounting firms, especially here in Southern California, uh, they weren't able to transition over to the digital way of doing business. And it was very sad. You know, I, I can't I can't be too sad about it because our firm grew about 30 to 35 percent with new clients during the pandemic simply because we had all of the manpower in place. We had the the Zoom account set up. We had the smart vault set up so people could upload their information and feel safe. Uh, you know, and, and have peace of mind that 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 information is safely held in this this what's called a smart vault where they can access the information, we can access the information and it's almost real time. So if we're on the phone with a client and they upload something, I see it within 20 seconds on my screen. Uh, And it is one of the sponsored smart vaults uh, software programs by the federal government. We went with the best of the best. And, uh, you know, because we are 55 employees strong, we've got about 15 senior consultants on staff. We've got junior accountants. We've got tax associates. We're very much a, a team-oriented type firm. Um, and especially because it's the off-season, we absolutely have space to take on new files. During tax season, uh, we book up very quickly. So when we when we entertain new clients, we let them know, hey, our pre-booking process starts in November. We get people on the calendar and then we we try to gauge whether or not people like filing extensions. So, you know, if we file the extension preemptively at the beginning of tax season, then they don't have to worry about the actual tax prep appointment until later on in the summertime. Um, certain clients might have very unique investments, conservation easements, cost segregation analysis filings. These are all very unique things that might push a client to file an extension simply because the documents, maybe the K-1s or the election analysis paperwork isn't ready by April 18th. So we try to gauge all of that in the fourth quarter. Like I had mentioned earlier, the fourth quarter of our year is 
probably, I mean, it's equally as important as tax season, in my opinion, but it probably is equally, if not more busy than tax season is. Uh, so we really try to 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 gauge a client's needs and wants. Um, but to answer your question, we're absolutely taking on new business. Like I said, we're not a one-person operation. We've got the staff yeah. readily available to handle the new influx of business. And we can handle pretty much anything under the... No, I'm mean, not pretty much anything. We can handle anything that files a, a tax return or has a tax filing with the US government in the state of California from an income tax perspective. So we're readily available to assist if anybody is is finding it hard to to find a tax professional who's taking on new business. We are we are here to help. That that is great. I mean, we're we're very team oriented as well. Um, we you know we made it a. I mean, with the pandemic, we sort we pivoted to very high tech. We have a secure vault. All these processes, we work on the business to set it up for, for a great client experience. It sounds like you do the same. So this is terrific. And I am f having trouble uh, finding folks to send uh, you to, to make introductions. So this is absolutely terrific. If you have any slides or anything you'd like, maybe include in the show notes, you referenced one at, at the event yesterday at the thing you were at. You know, feel free to forward those along. And as, as we start to close, are there any other sort of salient points, words of wisdom, things we didn't cover that you feel uh, ought to be shared and sure, we'll go sure from absolutely. There. Yeah, the the PowerPoint that I spoke on yesterday, I can absolutely have my uh, the marketing team PDF, you know, to convert it into a PDF and then we can make it available for anybody listening to the podcast. Probably the last piece of advice is that, you know, I get this question a lot from clients, is there anything else I could do? Um, you know, once once we're dialing in this year and planning kind of scenario and new clients coming in for the new client consultations, you know, but look at my last year's tax return. Was there anything else that I could have done to help save save money? And, you know, I'm not going to say that that there isn't anything else that you can do. But I do want to mention that if you're not working with a tax advisor who is upfront about, you know, when you've maxed out certain things on your return, you know, the, the, I'm I'm all about looking for every loophole in the book. Uh, every election that needs to be made, uh, utilizing married filing joint couples to to utilize one of the the individuals in the in the couple if they're not working to maybe reallocate their their position on the return to a professional, let's say on the real estate side. So we open up a whole other world of of tax sheltering benefits. There there are a number of things that you can continue to do and. You have to be able to trust your tax advisor when they tell you, well, that we've maxed out everything, you know, because there are some clients who want more, who want more, who want to push the envelope and just understand that your tax advisor is not in the business of getting you audited, right? We are in the business of structuring things in the best way possible within the compliance walls of the, the internal revenue code. But but the most important thing for you to do as a tax advisor, a tax preparer, I mean, not a tax preparer, as a taxpayer is to set aside some time during the year to sit down and make sure that your previous year's returns have been filed correctly. I have clients who have been with Bob Hall for you know, 30, 40 plus years, and I would even suggest to them, hey, if you want a second set of eyes on the return that I've prepared, by all means, if somebody else is offering a second, you know, a second opinion on the return, take it to them. Why, why would you not take advantage of that? And that's, you know, about 13, 14 years ago, we started offering this second opinion free consultation. 
And it's not to it's not to steal business from other other preparers in the industry because if we look at the return and we're like, wow, this is bulletproof. I mean, everything that we would have applied to this return, your preparer has done. We are very much in the industry of you know to to help people and to assist and to educate them. We are not in the industry to overpromise and underdeliver, right? That that is not what we're about. But we will absolutely take a look at those two years of tax returns and let you know, hey, your preparer might have missed something here. And if we need to go back and amend something to take an election on the return, to accelerate depreciation on a return, to readjust forms and maybe take an in-home office deduction when the, the previous preparer was too afraid to, uh, you know, you, you got to understand where to push the envelope and where not to. And I can tell you right now that I have a number of clients, just a specific example, who come into our office saying, well, I do have an in-home office, but my last preparer said that it would get me audited, so we didn't take it. That is the wrong approach. You need to understand what is an ordinary, necessary, and legitimate write-off. And above and beyond anything, for the advice of your tax advisor, you need to be reasonable with what you're deducting. Um, I gave an example yesterday in this expo. It'll be part of this this PowerPoint PDF that we send over, where you know that the IRS doesn't audit the in-home office because of the form itself. They audit that in-home office because people are not taking reasonable allocations of the square footage within their office. Because a lot of these YouTube videos are saying, oh, industry average is 15, 20, 25% of your home. Well, what if someone lives in a 5,000 square foot home and the other person lives in a 1,000 square foot home? That's a, that's a significant difference if you're taking 25% of your house as an office space, right? So you should never be afraid of taking a deduction that is ordinary, necessary, and legitimate. But you do need the advice of a tax advisor to make sure that you're being reasonable with what you're deducting. Um, and that that's really what you pay a tax professional to do is to advise you on where to push the envelope, what loopholes and what elections need to be made on in your specific scenario to help you once again retain wealth. But that the last piece of advice that you asked me to leave is put aside an hour to two hours of your time. I know that most of your schedules are busy, but put aside some time in the fourth quarter, if not, you know, starting in June, I'd say in the third or fourth quarter to sit down with a tax advisor and map out your year to date information. The power of planning can lead you to the promised land, essentially. I mean, if you're unhappy with the bottom line liability that you're owing at the end of every year, Sit down with a tax advisor and figure out how, figure out if there's anything else that you can do. Um, and it never hurts if the consultation is free, which is something that we offer as a firm. That that's fantastic. We do the same. We offer a second opinion, and we'll review stuff. And you know, my my approach, I think it's very similar to yours. If we find they've done everything perfect and it's stellar, we'll be the first. We are not interested in taking over that boat. That that person or that entity, if they're being served tremendously well. Um, but the chances are we'll find stuff and we'll bring things to their attention and or conversations they should have heard. So that's a, that's a great offer. Uh, we will link all this in the show notes. Um, I, as I've mentioned on several podcasts, I have what's called a value added support team. These are other professionals, you know, in tax accounting, insurance, legal, many, many areas that we we don't just refer out or introduce. We literally bake into our process and we work with and integrate with as, as their financial advisor. So we find it it provides tremendous value and just, just the power of another professional or that integration professionally is is really helpful, sort of a one and one as is 
you know, equals three or a lot more than two. So Tony, thanks so much for being on the podcast. And um, this has been a tremendous discussion. We might have to do a, a round two of this at some point with some, some deeper dives when some, uh, when the tax code changes or if there's other points you'd like to elaborate on, but thanks. Thanks for being here. You got it, Robert. Yeah. Anytime you need to come back and if you hear about some sort of change in the internal revenue code, uh, just let me know. I'll put together another, another, you know, conversation about the changes. I think, and foresee that because of the election in 2024, that things will not only start changing in the third and fourth quarter of this year, but but we'll absolutely see some changes to the code in 2024 and moving forward. Uh, we always tend to, to see changes in the code when election years are happening, because obviously both parties, both, both sides of the fence, they want to look good on paper. And so they want to introduce new credits, new code changes that will benefit the U.S. taxpayer, especially with the economy where it's been over the past three, four years uh, and and where it continues to kind of go, um, you know, I, and and that that's it's, it's incredibly important to just stay on top of all of this information and and just you know take everything with a grain of salt that you watch on YouTube. There's a lot of misinformation out there online right now, uh, but you know I'm not telling you not to educate yourself because you know listen to those videos and then jot down your questions and maybe use the free consultation to just get the the opinion of that tax professional. Uh, to make sure that what you're listening to online is true fact and stated in the Internal Revenue Code. Uh, but continue educating yourself. That, that's incredibly important. And if you need me to come back, just let me know. I'm always available to to, to lend a, to speak to, to ears that would like to listen, so to speak. That That's wonderful, Tony. We really appreciate it. I think that's a great offer. So uh, we just wanted to share this with folks. And yes, there's always changes occurring uh, if you do file in California, you're probably paying an awful lot in taxes. It's, it's worth the peace of mind to know you're at least optimizing the tax code. And it's a complex area, believe me. So thank you for what you do and for being on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for having me. Have a great one. You too. Make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Millionaire Next Door podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Signature Estate and Investment Advisors or Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.